Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everyone. It's Friday, October 28th, 2022. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz, and it's This Week in XR. Our guests this week are Lyron Bentoven, the CEO of the Glimpse Group, uh, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange as ARVR. How cool is that? And Tyler Gates, whose company Brightline was recently acquired by Glimpse. So it'll be um, great to talk to Tyler again and um, to meet Lyron. Yeah, they're an interesting group, and and as you say, they're on the market. And, yep, uh, they, which... they're they're a um, I guess you could say kind of a conglomerate of a lot of different companies in yeah. the XR sector. Yeah, they're actually they're, a they're, little like Meta, to be honest. Yeah, they're sort of like an aggregator, but but uh, potentially on on an uptick. I mean, we're going to talk about that a lot today. The market gyrations. Oh my God! Well, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, Meta's third quarter earnings have set off a firestorm, probably in in excess of what we got last week from Connect. But before we start to pile on, yeah, you got your what I got, everybody. Yeah, it's a brand new MetaQuest Pro, Mm -hmm. and I even paid my own cash money for it. I did not wait. I did not beg. I did not go to them on hands and knees begging for a demo unit. You I just played press card. You just went for it. Got ordered it. one like a normal civilian. Good for I, you. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, again, they uh, they nailed me when they said people who want the best possible VR experience. Right. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm holding up my hand for that. And I told uh, you, Charlie. You know, we had good experiences with it. We've been working with a prototype unit for a mm-hmm. little while with some of our developers, and uh, it's. You know, it's it's quite a good headset. Uh, you know, the 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 open question is: Is it worth a a thousand dollar upcharge from a Quest Two? Um, if you're a consumer and you just want to play games and have a good time with it, uh, it's a it's a tough question to ask. But if you're non price sensitive and you have you know the capital and you figure that the cost of say an expensive cell phone, which is about fifteen hundred dollars when you cost it out is yeah. what you would spend on VR, then it's absolutely worth it. Well, of course, the cell phone's in your hand every minute you're awake. So That's it's a true. little different. A I mean, <laughs> a little different than VR where you're doing it for, you know, I don't know, in my case, like three hours, four hours a week, maybe yeah. on a week where I do a lot of VR. So is, by the um, way, a lot more than most people are doing VR, which yeah, is also but, part of the but, challenge. <laughs> the, uh, so, I mean, you, you have to have it. It's no more expensive. I think I said this last week, so let's move on, but yeah. it's no more expensive yeah. than VR has traditionally been prior right. to Quest. Right. So, um, so anyway, meta, 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 we're, oh, this, we should change the show to this week in meta. This week in meta. We, a, we need a subtopic this week. A subtopic. I week well, I, I mean, fortunately there's some financing to talk about as, um, Resini, Yume and 4VR made, uh, raised about $60 million between them. So, mm-hmm. Uh, that and and uh, in in the case of four entirely because of Meta, yeah. And you know, four is such an interesting one because you've heard me talk about this, and you know that for years a big part of my thesis of why VR will find its moment of true commercial success is because of the the success of the Nintendo Wii that we like to have simulation behaviors at home, 
And if you look at the games that 4VR have created, there's VR bowling, VR darts, VR pool, I think they got, you know, obviously that's what people like to do. I mean, you and I played mini golf for an hour in VR. I know that was fun, everybody. We uh, went with uh, Lucas Martell, uh, who we had interviewed uh, the week before. We decided to go into VR and record our playing a round of mini golf with the creator of the mini golf uh, VR experience. Yeah, so uh, we we're putting that together now and hopefully we'll post it uh, over the weekend uh, as, as a video, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So let's move on to the meta announcements. Their earning announcements were terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, and even the sales of the Oculus Quest 2, disappointingly, uh, were down. Yeah. Um, which is really, I thought, the worst news of the whole bad string of financial news. Uh, I I would rather have them lose all that money, and, and it isn't being lost. It's uh, it's being invested. I understand that, uh, you know. And I, again, it's it's so. I mean, we have to go through the titles of the stories in this week in Schadenfreude, and I only chose uh, the tastiest titles. But uh, they're being chopped to pieces. Uh, every aspect of their business is under siege. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of people don't like them for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oof, you know, but I, I'm telling you the um, the viciousness that yeah. people attack them with. It's I mean, this is an extraordinary one of a kind company with an empowered founder who holds all the voting shares. And, you know, they've he's grown in enormously wealthy i think his wealth has been cut in half but does it i don't know if you know whether you have 100 billion yeah, I don't or 200 billion i mean what is the difference or no, no, no difference. <laughs> so i i mean but it it is extraordinary what billionaire would do that i also think it's it's you know and we we talk about this a lot in my different work meetings it's a bit of a cautionary tale about attempting to force a market to move in the direction you want rather than organically letting a market grow and find its audience. So, you know, when I do a, a very top line comparison of what all things meta have done, and look, you and I can be critical and we can also be extraordinarily beneficial and thankful that they have put the kind of resources they put into VR to commercialize it. But if I just take a subset of that and take a look at VR chat and rec room that have grown organically, found an audience, found a value point, and versus what Meta has done with those aspirations, which is just clunky and they sort of fall on top of themselves. Don't you think there's a lesson to be learned there? And they they call it out in their um, connect where they talk about all their developers doing so well on the platform and making so much money and having a you know a reasonable staff and a reasonable life and everything is going well and they're you know some of them are making millions of dollars, but they don't go beyond that to realize that maybe they need to take a page out of their own success book and say, they don't have to do everything on the planet. They should do some things really well and let developers do the other things. I just think that's a, a sound strategy from my standpoint. As, I, as a certainly, I think, meta, you know? I, I think it's legitimate to say that they're trying to do too much. Yeah, yeah. And they're the more supportive investors in uh, Meta are sort of encouraging them not to stop it, but mm -hmm. like, can't we spend four yeah, just, billion dollars? Does it really slow, it, slow this train down a little bit? Does it right. really have to be 10? 
And, you know, the answer is no, it could be four. Four would be double what Epic Games is spending, which is an yeah. enormous amount of money. Exactly. Epic Games is doing $2 billion a year. Okay, do, do four, do five. But please, like, don't spend every penny we're making on the metaverse. So maybe if we just keep verbalizing this and people around the planet keep talking about it, they'll get the message eventually. We'll see. We'll yeah, see. I mean, I again, it's all up to one of the richest men in the world, and he is really, really committed. Yeah, uh, and um, you know, and and committed and taking a hammering every week. I mean, he cannot even look at his phone for God's right. sakes. Right. I mean, here's some of the headlines just for fun. I'll read them. Okay. It's not good. It's not fun. The Oculus founder who sold his VR startup to Mark Zuckerberg slams Meta Horizons Worlds as a hobby project card. Mm -hmm. Quest Pro Review, impressive hardware with a value proposition that's kind of a mess. That was from Ben Lang. Ouch. Mm -hmm. Who's a huge we, supporter of VR in all forms, right? We were not wowed by our first MetaQuest Pro experience, says Ars Technica. Meta's $10 billion metaverse investment is, quote, not enough, according to Animoca Brands' Yatsu. Losing face. Is this the beginning of the end for Mark Zuckerberg? And finally, Mark Zuckerberg might have doomed his metaverse, but Neil Stevenson's vision is very much alive. Yeah. Woof! So the only positive vein I can find from that is there's a reflective <laughs> story from a much younger version of us and a guy named Steve Jobs that yeah, was out from his company. And everybody said, you know, you could probably find the same articles from 40 years ago that had the same sort of storylines. And that story ended very differently for Apple. So I guess we'll see, right? Jobs came back from the dead several times. I guess we'll see what happens. Meta, meta is far sorry. from dead. So uh, the story will go on. And, you know, the best thing is no one really knows how this is going to turn out, which yeah. makes this so much fun to talk about. It probably also makes it not so great for investors. And I think that's uh, that uncertainty and the fact the company is committed to spending this kind of money and taking a loss every year for the foreseeable future. It just is a bit much for investors. Well, maybe they had a really good instinct calling their product horizons because you have to have a long horizon mm. line now to understand that things will find their way to success again. And, well, and they're going to have to fail their way to success. It's the only absolutely. way in a medium yeah, that doesn't already. So I, I just think if you're investing in meta, I mean, two things, right? One is if you ever felt like shit, I wish I had invested in meta in 20. 15 well now is your chance <laughs> well and did you see there was a great clip of jim kramer who's you know that sort of frenetic tv yeah. host on the nutty often often confused finance guy yeah and and got quite emotional when he was talking to his audience and really like genuinely apologized for kind of eating his own dog food and and believing that uh that this was going to all work out and uh you know because a lot of his investors i guess lost a lot of money on it when he said you know, go in because it's it's at a low and it's it's a pretty powerful and strong company. And little did he know that it would just take another tank down, right? Yeah, so. well, I, I mean, you know, the old staying in finance, never try and catch a falling knife. That's correct. You get cut. <laughs> so anyway, well, let's talk about some good news because, you know, we've, we've kind of like the rest of the industry here, let Meta rain on a parade for a couple pretty interesting companies. Mm -hmm. uh, reason I, um, has uh, I don't know if you remember this company. They have $20 million in fresh funding. 
for uh, their app called Vera, which uses computer vision uh, to instantly create uh, an accurate digital twin. Right. Uh, and then we have the company formerly called Tatavi, now Yume. Uh, and they're backed by a long list of A-list celebs from music and sports. And they have a volumetric uh, capture technology, uh, I guess, video grammatry, we would call it. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're thinking that's going to be a key way of bringing people who are live in the physical world into, quote unquote, the metaverse. And as you know, I'm a big believer in all things volumetric. I'm an investor in a company mm -hmm. in volumetric. I, I have... A belief that that there is a deep and strong future around this technology uh, in lots of ways. So I'm not the only one, which is good. Thank God. So we talked about four VR raising ten million dollars. Mm -hmm. um, good for them. I like their stuff. Oh, great story. Haptex, our friends yeah, with the haptic yeah, yeah. gloves that are used like for you know industrial telerobotics, mm -hmm. have come up with the gloves that use um, compressed air. Um, to create the force feedback, you know, of holding something or touching something. Uh, and they got the price down to $4,000. Yeah, which is amazing. And I've been testing this all the way through their life cycle. Have you used, have you used the compressed air one? Yeah, the extraordinary, extraordinary life cycle of this company doing extraordinary things. And, you know, the magic of like directed airflow and software is kind of like, yeah. I mean, you from your Disney background, it is very Disney-esque. It is it is an imagineering type project come to life. You put these things on and you feel spiders crawling across your hand. You can hold something in your hand and literally feel it and see it with your eyes in a VR headset. Uh, you know, it is not mainstream technology yet. It is not a consumer product, but for <clears throat> theme park applications, for industrial applications, it's a really, really interesting thing. But could we ever really have gloves like in Ready Player One that look like just sort of large gardener you gloves? No, I think eventually, I mean, I think over time, anything that starts out as a very exotic, very bespoke technology, if there's enough desire point, someone will figure out how to bring the cost down. Just like, you know, going back to the beginnings of virtual reality and things costing hundreds of thousands of dollars to now, you know, a few hundred dollars, right? Uh, people would say that's impossible to bring that down to a hundred dollars, but it will take many years. Uh, but I think it will happen. I do think it will happen. Um, so we've got Lyron and Tyler here. So let's bring them in from okay. the green room. Good take, good show this morning and a lot of good energy. I know. Well, that's the news, you know, it's exciting. That's the news, baby. It's good news week. I mean, you yeah. know, we have to take what the week gives us. Give us. Sometimes <laughs> the week is kind to us. Right, exactly. Here we go, Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Good morning. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I like the beard. New look for you. I like it. <laughs> the, the beard works for it. It works. It works for the camera. It's the uh, the pandemic beard still that's, hanging. That's in right. There. That's right. We're we're getting into we're getting into November here, and it's uh we got I got a major focus. We got a major company well company wide focus of a a, a big event that we're we're. Uh, we're doing at the end of the month. So. Tyler, I'm interested. You have that super fancy mic, just like I've got my super fancy mic. Yeah. But I'm curious if your settings on your computer are actually using it. Could you sound a little echoey and far away to me? Um, we can pull her in here. Oh, there you go. Uh, getting better. Can pull it in. Oh, there you go. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. That's Perfect. I, I love that we were always looking at everybody's <clears throat> house. AV uh, set up in their house. In the background, yeah. we see we, Tyler's got his guitar. Tyler's yeah, yeah. got his. Uh, Halloween skeleton. Oh, and oh, here's Lyron. 
Lyron, great to see hey. you. Good to see you. It's Lyron. Yes, Lyron. Sorry. Welcome. I've also, I've also got Parks the Pup here in the chair here. Oh, He's, nice. He just hangs out there. Well, sometimes he does and sometimes he jumps on you. I've sometimes seen that. I just fully disclose that he's also listening. So, uh... so uh, first, first of all, congratulations on the acquisition. We haven't talked since that happened, Tyler. Um, I guess congratulations also to you, Leron. The company um, successfully went public last year and uh, your plan is working. You're using your public stock uh, to bring together companies that um, you know can uh, generate uh, and cash and be uh, profitable as a whole. And then of course, the whole bigger than the sum of its parts. So congrats on that. Thank you, and kind of you clearly got 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 a story in our game plan. So kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, Charlie knows. The time. Well, I've been, um, you know, I've certainly been following, you know, the Glimpse Group from uh, from the very beginning, and uh, you have pulled together a lot of interesting companies. Uh, and of course, we Tyler has been on the show before, and we've talked about Brightline and and his. Um, work in the defense industry and elsewhere. What are the other companies that um, that Glimpse Group has in its portfolio? Or I yeah, should say- so We've got quite brand. a lot and we're not, we're not gonna take all the time to talk about all of no. them, but kind of as we I start kind of outlining a few of them so you can see how they all kind of fit together in terms of our kind of overall strategy. So uh, kind of uh, one of the, the recent other big acquisition was Sector 5 Digital, uh, S5D. Uh, run by Jeff Meisner, who basically kind of, they, they're basically working with enterprise customers, kind of bringing their vision and products to life in a variety of events using immersive technology. Uh, so that's another key company that uh, Jeff and his partners have built over kind of the same, we're all kind of built this over the same period from the beginnings and kind of uh, the companies that survived are the ones where had people that could actually build a business rather than just kind of uh, ride hype and build technology that nobody cares for. And uh, I think Jeff and the guys at uh, guys and gals at uh, Sector Five have done a really good job of building that. The other kind of big element in our team is Curio. Uh, kind of you've probably kind of run across kind of Alper and Mike Cado uh, uh, from Curio building 3D assets and kind of uh, immersive lenses for kind of uh, Snap and kind of Instagram and the likes. And kind of they're kind of really probably the best out there in terms of doing lifelike 3D assets. Uh, so that's another kind of important part as we're kind of moving into this immersive world is creating and bringing that world into our immersive element. Uh, so those are kind of three uh, kind of cornerstones of the Glimpse uh, kind of franchise. Uh, then we've, we've got kind of uh, the next year of companies. Uh, so we have Fortel, which basically uses virtual reality uh, to create a place for people to interact with each other, social VR, uh, from support groups to kind of uh, simulations to uh, kind of universities to schools, kind of all those things kind of come together uh, in virtual reality. Uh, we have uh, kind of one of our other interesting acquisitions, Exartera, which trains professionals to become uh, VR and AR developers and kind of 3D artists. Uh, and kind of obviously, as, as we are in the trenches with the rest of the industry, we see the uh, kind of the need for talented uh, individuals to come in into the space. And they're really good at taking people that already know, kind of starting from scratch and basically learning from uh, kind of becoming kind of a, a developer. But if you already develop for mobile or web uh, or kind of a, or kind of PC Mac, kind of 
transitioning into the immersive world or if you're a 2D artist kind of transitioning into the 3D art world is something that you could, you could be taught and they kind of brought together kind of some of the best instructors in the business to help drive that in. So, uh, so Charlie, it, Charlie, it seems like uh, Laurent's thesis is very similar to ours in the fact that using virtual reality as a base of technology, there's all kinds of company layers and all kinds of success, success metrics around industrial use cases, training use cases, simulation use cases, healthcare use cases, heavy and light industry use cases. Charlie and I go over it almost every week in some fashion, especially when you get a week like this where people start to bash on VR again and you know, with the consumerization yeah. side of the equation. There's a whole nother side of this equation that continues to thrive and succeed that is all the commercial sides of virtual reality use case. So it sounds like your, your thesis yeah. is tapping right into that. This is exactly what we're doing. Kind of our focus is enterprise. So we only work with, and we when we define enterprise, it's not just corporations, it's uh, the military, it's the government, it's universities, it's hospitals, it's kind of any organization that, that kind of, we're not B2C, we're B2B and proud of that. And that's kind of how we're building our business. The business has never been stronger. I'm not just talking about glimpse business. I'm talking about the industry as we see the interest and demand across all these sectors. and. The uniqueness of our seat as kind of executives at Glimpse is that we get to see the full spectrum of this industry. Our kind of healthcare company, I haven't mentioned, Immersive Health Group is working with healthcare providers and kind of we see that trend. Fortel is working with universities. Tyler is working with the military. Kind of, uh, kind of Jeff is working with industrial companies. So we see kind of where they are. And uh, because of our positioning, they come to us and kind of want us to help them figure out what's true, what's not, what's kind of fake and what's not, how do they come into this world? And uh, because we're still very early in a, in a long technology cycle, people don't get it. People expect kind of immediate changes that don't happen overnight. Technology is evolving, hardware is evolving, organizations are slowly shifting uh, their focus more and more into the immersive world. And our job is to be their partner as they're stepping into this helping them, tying them to some of the technologies that we have across the Glimpse portfolio of companies and really becoming their long-term partner as they become more and more immersed in the immersive world. Liron, let me ask you, we, we don't know each other, so I'm curious, um, what, did, what led you to the insight that immersive media uh, was reaching an inflection point? What were you doing before? So kind of, I've been a serial entrepreneur as well as an executive in a variety of tech companies leading both public and private companies. And 2015 was the year for me where I got it. And I grew up kind of uh, in the previous tech cycle. So I look at tech cycles are 30, 35 years where multiple technologies move us from one era to the other. So I grew up, I was kind of a kid in school kind of in the early eighties where the three technologies, mobile, PC, internet, really started getting together. Everybody's talking about the 90s and 2000s, but where they came together was the 80s. Mm -hmm. And I saw that, I had my first computer when I was 11. I was writing code and my dad would look at me and say, I kind of, what are you doing? You're writing all these lines of code on the TV. What are you, kind of, we didn't even call it code. It was like, he's seeing me type on the TV and trying to figure out what I'm doing. And I said, come back in half an hour and I'll show you what it does. And kind of, and seeing, seeing how the industry evolved over time and kind of going into BBSs before anybody knew what the internet was and, and seeing the value of kind of that communication and ability to connect. And what happened over from probably 1980 to 2015 was we moved from the analog era to the digital era. And this is where we are right now. And all the things, 
And if you look at tech cycles, the first half of the tech cycle is a hardware cycle. If you look at all the winners in the first half, they're all hardware companies. Many of them still exist and they're good companies, but nobody's looking at them and saying, wow, kind of Ericsson and Nokia and Cisco and Dell and HP and all those companies used to be the big gorillas, uh, even Intel. And then you look now and the winners are the software companies. Kind of if you look at the digital cycles, the Amazons and the Facebooks and kind of the Netflix and the Microsoft and Microsoft is a unique one because they've managed to play software from the beginning and position themselves correctly. And almost like something we're mimicking, not in terms of our model, but in terms of being successful as a software company early in the cycle, and then becoming one of the winners at the end of the game. So 2015, I thought we were at the beginning of a new 35 year tech cycle. And the three technologies coming together to really move us from a digital world to an immersive world are immersive technologies, VRAR, together with blockchain and AI. And those three technologies are gonna move us over 35 years, starting potentially 2015, to kind of the uh, kind of immersive world, where the end game would be what everybody's talking about, the metaverse and all those cool things, just like cloud computing and all the things we see on the digital world couldn't exist in the early part of the cycle. They kind of people could talk about them, but you couldn't actually execute them because technology was not there. Hardware wasn't there. There weren't enough users. But over time, infrastructure was built uh, to get us there. So. I've studied this all along in 2015. It kind of dawned on me that I've got this great opportunity. I have all this experience I've done in my career. This is where I want to go. And I want to be early with a plan. And that's where I formed the Glimpse Group to really tackle this challenge. Charlie, I feel like we just got our first This Week in XR TED Talk just, just now. <laughs> just now. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was a very, very apt description of the, the technology arc, as Charlie and I like to talk about it. You, you've encapsulated it very nicely. We 100% agree with everything you said. <laughs> Tyler, are you still based in Washington, D.C.? Yes, just, just outside the city. I'm in Arlington, and then our office is uh, in Ashburn, Virginia. We're actually in a private data center. We, we call it more of a, a testing facility than an office these days. And is your business 100% defense oriented? No, no, not at all. Because you I, remind me, I don't want to misrepresent what um, Brightline was doing. Uh, can yeah, you remind I mean, us we, what, what your core business was there? We started, we, Brightline started in 2002. So we, we were about 20 years old as an, as an entity. Um, but we started in the government space. We started uh, working um, mostly with DOD customers on largely on sort of like immersive communication programs. So figuring out ways to, um, to, to leverage various types of what we now call immersive style technologies, gesture technology, body tracking, face tracking, sensor integration, those sorts of things to support the sort of control of a screen interface. And so that's what we were doing for, for quite a while. Um, and then certain circumstances around sort of contracts and availability of contracts, stuff like that shifted. And Brightline took a lot of that technological experience, um, a lot of that sort of command over how things are made at scale, how you make something very quickly. Most of that work that we were doing at the time was making a technology in four to six weeks, but needing to make it hardened, completely ready to operate. And so it's a different thing, a totally different animal in terms of like making um, experience technology, because that's what we moved into around the 2010 timeframe. And so Brightline got very heavily involved in doing lots of sort of high-end 
uh, immersive technology installations at we've done the Super Bowl for the last, you know, 10, 12 years in a row, you know, final four, we do the Coca-Cola Coca World Cup trophy tour. We do lots of stadium activations. So, so let's stop you there. Explain when you say we do the Super Bowl, we do the Final Four. Explain to our listeners what that means. What, what do you what Absolutely. Do you yeah. So specifically what I mean is we're, we're applying immersive technology at all of these events. And so specifically, uh, a major brand sponsor will will hire us to create their, their physical on-site presence mm -hmm. as well as their digital presence. And then the way that their physical presence interacts with their digital presence and obviously now that's grown to much greater lengths of, you know, in-depth nature with immersive style technologies today. But or in 2010, you know, before we shifted, we were still using Flash and Touch Designer, right? We hadn't shifted to Unity 3D. It was called until 2011. So it, at that time frame, we were building lots of touchscreen interactive sort of things, lots of projection maps on the sides of buildings, lots of um, large format shows with show controllers and lighting and a lot of sort of interactive stuff before we got into what we now understand as augmented and virtual reality as sort of a base delivery platform. So we shifted into sort of virtual and augmented reality. It was around the, the well, 2011, we shifted into Unity 3D and that we were really using Unity to sort of really almost like break everything we, we were making mobile applications touchscreen applications we were making like sharing applications using unity it was we were really using unity in ways that weren't necessarily intended but we we knew that that was if we were going to push with 3d content in in these immersive style experiences we really needed to actually build in what most people didn't understand at the time was a game engine because we needed to build all of this interactive content in an environment that can be um, manipulated on a regular basis, even eventually in real time. But we knew it was it was be a long time before we'd get to real time manipulation of those virtual environments. But so, we so knew it sounded on, it sounds like it sounds like a lot of your business and business practices up until re fairly recently were on traditional screens at venues at locations, whether it's projected or large LEDs, vertical screens, touch screens, that kind of stuff. But then you saw, use the glimpse reflection, you saw a glimpse of the future where these screens would start to change, where people would actually be using truly immersive simulation screens to do what you were practicing and proving out on traditional screens. Would that yeah, be Yeah, and that time frame, I would say, just to put a timestamp on it, the time frame was probably around 2013, uh, 2014 timeframe was when we were shifting into immersive tech really full on because we, we had started on a, um, we, we got on a program with Toyota where they wanted us to build a distracted driving simulator for teenagers to, to help people understand the dangers of distracted driving. The original request was to sort of cut off the roof of the, of the sorry, the hood of the vehicle and to put seven screens up and have it be this full Perfect. motion, you know, like hydraulic right. like simulator, a whole, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally insane, like back to the future, like theme park ride. So that's what they had intended, right? And so we said, listen, we there's this new technology. We know it's nuanced, but virtual reality, it's it's like cut for the same from the same cloth as the idea for doing this. Like it's perfect for it. it you want to mark, you want to sort of direct this at teenagers. You want them to engage and understand. They're getting into these cars at auto shows. They're getting this experience. Okay, instead of putting them in front of these screens, we should put them in a VR headset because we knew 
that we could actually deliver a lot more experience. My my back my personal background is is in sort of interpersonal psychology, and my 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 love for this space is is obviously sort of centered around brain science and how we actually interpret the information with immersive tech. And so we knew that we could deliver the message of the dangers of distracted driving way more effectively through using virtual reality than using screens. And we knew that we couldn't prove that to them, but we could show them. So we made the simulator, we, we, we used the DK1 from Oculus, okay? So we got the, the DK1 just maybe a, a few months prior. And then we rented a car from Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Our, our, our office share, at the time shared a parking garage with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. <laughs> and so we rented an Enterprise Rent-A-Car, but never left the garage. Right, sure. And we promised those guys that we would let them try VR for a year if they didn't say anything and let us just sit down there with our eight-foot tables in the parking garage and That's make a great start. Start. That's a great startup story. I love so it. So we made that, that simulator. That was then live for Toyota for three years across auto shows across the globe, we're at Fast Company Grill at South by Southwest. It was a big deal. That's what put us on the map for virtual reality was doing in 2013, 2014, building a VR simulator for a car. And we yeah. put IMUs in the steering column, the gas and brake of the actual car. So you could actually use the car. We put gesture sensors in the passenger and driver window because it wouldn't be two years. It would that be two awesome. years That's before awesome. Oculus would come out with body tracking or even controllers. Story. So we really understood fundamentally because of sensor technology background. No wonder Leron bought the company. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, amazing. Exactly. That was exactly the thing. First time I talked to Tyler, kind of someone introduced us, we had a call. And then after it, I was talking to Maidan, my CFO, and I was like, I am in love, kind of. And he's like, hey, keep going. It's like, no, no, this, uh, kind of, I want this company. Uh, so kind of, kind of, he gets it. He gets where it is. He'll figure out how to make it happen. And this is exactly what I need Tyler on my side as my chief futurist to help me kind of take this vision and execute on it. Love it. You know, it's such an interesting story that you're telling. And it, it reminds me and reflects on how deep this industry already is. Because as you're talking about that Toyota story, it triggered something in my brain that I hadn't thought about in years. In the days of the Samsung Oculus partnership, I can't remember what the hell the name of the headset was now. The, Gear, uh, Gear VR. Gear. Gear VR, thank you. Gear oh, VR. VR. Oh, get me going on that one. Um, AT&T AT did something that was actually really important and very powerful. They did a distracted driving simulator where they were teaching people not to text and drive. And it was a totally mobile experience where you held up your, your, you know, your smartphone inside VR. It was very sort of basic three-doff experience. And they showed you what would happen if you looked at your phone for too long while you were driving, you'd crash into another car. And I was like, wow, that was, and it's been years since I've thought of that. And just when you brought up the Toyota story, like, I remember that and how powerful that, that was. That at t campaign was called It Can Wait. It was hashtag. It can wait. That's exactly wait. right. Yes. Yep. I remember we, we were, we were very, we were sort of part and parcel with that campaign because we were doing very similar style things, right. obviously. The social good message is very similar. Yeah, so interesting. Wow. But really, amazing. honestly, to, to tie off on that question, just Charlie, just in terms of our business overall, we were really kind of split at this point. We do a lot of work. We kept a lot of that work in commercial brand from 2009. We moved into that space really with gesture technology. We were doing gesture at the time. A lot of that we were doing a lot of like using really how I say it is at the beginning. We were using the screen to control the screen. Then we started to figure out a way to use space to control the screen. And now we just use space to control space. Mm. And it really is because we moved, we figured out the sensor integrations and the understandings of actually the bedrock of how 
immersive tech functions. And when you get to that point, we're now at a point where we don't really see VR and AR and MR. We don't really see that. We see content that's backed by the network and that's be, that, that is able to be delivered over network to various instances based on use case. And so those use cases may be, the use case may require you to see pass-through, but also see the environment, but also see the immersive content. But the use case may require you to be fully embedded, but the use case may require you to only see it through your mobile device. Regardless, the future, I mean, really immersive content is really just content that is deployable because of a network, because it can be computed in the cloud and then dispersed, deployed. And it really, in terms of like, whether it's VR, AR, you know, we've all been sort of fighting this battle for, for years, you know, across our various platforms of which one is going to win and which one is better. There's such a fascination of things being this or that. Really, what immersive technology teaches us is that it's both. It's both. It's, it's all of those things. We don't need so much definition before we've really actually moved our way fully into it. Uh, Tyler, are you taking a role in the company beyond uh, running Brightline? I, I think Liron just mentioned your work as the chief futurist for Glimpse. That's right. Yeah. So in in our in our in our uh, in our uh, deal, we Brightline. Obviously, I continue to run Brightline as general manager, and then I also take a, a C-suite role. I've taken a C-suite role with Liron and the rest of our fantastic team. Um, and I'm running overall overseeing vision and strategy. So when we look at an immersive technology company, who's, I mean, look, we're, we're, a, we're a company that is anchored to the edge, right? So we're, we're always at the edge, but the edge is moving, as we all know, quickly. And so it becomes increasingly important, not just, not just for what we're making, but also for our internal team and for our partnerships and for our collaborations beyond to understand what we actually see. Just because we see it and we can make a company off it and make money from that, that's fantastic. But if we can then at the same time use the fact that we can see how to do that to affect the entire market, even better. And that's really why it's valuable to be able to say, yes, we have a vision. Yes, we're looking into the future and we do understand what's happening and we feel very confident and comfortable where we are, but we're also really excited about where we're going. How many companies, Liron, are in the portfolio now? So the answer kind of is a changing answer. So we have 14, 14 companies right now, but we're in the midst of some consolidation of companies. So we will emerge with less kind of without discarding any of the things we're working on, but trying to combine pieces that make sense with each other. Uh, and we'll update the, the world on that in the next couple of weeks as, as we're kind of finalizing that. And, and we as investors in the stock market can literally invest in Glimpse, right? We can buy we shares. Yeah, we are. We got the right? best sticker in town. Amazing. How'd you I land think, I think, by the way, screaming buy right now. Screaming <laughs> buy right now. Bargain <laughs> I, prices. I, I, I'm not going to comment, but yes. Gonna the, <clears> but does that, is that going <clears> to, <throat> but that at this, well, well, at the same time, it can attract lots of investors uh, interested in your hugely undervalued stock. Uh, it must make it hard to use it as a currency in acquisition. Yeah, no, it, it requires creativity, but also requires kind of people on the other side understanding what they're joining, mm -hmm. where they are as part of that value, and kind of getting that. Because I can, I'm not giving anyone stock at this point. We actually internally, in any acquisition we've done, we have not given stock under our IPO price. 
meaning okay. when we acquire mm -hmm. companies, it's it's basically can because most of our deals are future uh, built right. with incentives and earnouts. All mm -hmm. of these are either VWAP if the market wherever the market is or the IPO price. All of the stock options for anyone joining us or for existing employees, including the board and executives, is always at the IPO price. So we're not diluting shareholders, and we're trying to use the currency. And it's actually a good. It's it's almost kind of like a good test for a partner that wants to join the Gleams family as another company. Is yeah. do they see the value and they're willing to convert what they have into our kind of currency? Because we we do stock deals and we give them shares in our company mm, with that higher valuation than what the market is. And if they buy that, then they're kind of they definitely buy the story. Understand where we are. We're playing this for the long term. And kind of yes, kind of I wish my stock was higher. We could do a lot more deals, but. Uh, I'm very happy with the deals we've done, including Brightline, and we've done those in spite of the stock price rather than because of the stock price. And, and by the way, Charlie, uh, for you and I, it's very important to say right now that this is not a financial advice. Uh, this this no. thing will live I, on I don't, <clears throat> And by the way, I don't trade individual um, stocks. So uh, everything I, I own is traded is traded by a fund and a fund manager, and uh, I have nothing to do. <laughs> nothing, with it. We will very clearly say we are not giving you stock or financial advice on this podcast. Nothing and and this I podcast. and and as I said earlier, I actually paid my own cash money for the Quest uh, right, Pro, and um, which is something Ted may not have had to do. No, I did not. <laughs> I, I think what's I think what's interesting though, if if to call out, and I think particularly, you know, especially I'd love to hear what you guys think, Ted and, and, and Charlie, on this. You know, what we're seeing happening in the market right now, just from from a position, from a perch, not just looking at companies and looking at their stocks, not not that, looking at the technology itself. I mean, truly, not looking at the surface but going down a little bit deeper in and understanding sort of what's actually technologically converging, what's happening right now, because yes, there is global economy and yes, there is the specifics of what's happening with companies that are very forward and out in the open in terms of immersive technology and what they're doing with connected virtual worlds. Yes, that is happening. And because that happens in the public zeitgeist, that can oftentimes just because it's the only thing that's filling the void it can oftentimes just be misconstrued for what's in fact happening. But unfortunately, just because it's filling the void doesn't mean that that is actually in, in effect representative of what's actually happening with converging technologies. Because despite, I mean, the, the, the global pandemic and certain you know, supply chain challenges, that has forced companies to consider, completely consider that these technologies are not just these peripherals, but these are actually the next way that they're going to communicate. And I'm not just saying like VR and AR, I'm talking about virtualizing everything. We're yes. currently on a contract, a 10-year contract with a federal agency, $3 billion contract ceiling to virtualize their entire effort over the next 10 years. And that is a bellwether. That is a, a true admission that there is billions of dollars that are required to transition our, the way that we interact as human beings because we cannot interact with each other in these ways that pretend like we're doing it virtually, because that's basically what happened over the last three years. And really what, what's missing is a convergence. It's not just looking so tightly in at VR and AR. And Laurent mentioned this earlier, but it really is looking at convergence of what's happening with cloud for compute, what's happening with network for transport of that compute, 
what's happening with immersive technology for the display of all of that this display and interaction, the interface for all of that. And then what artificial intelligence does to wrap all that up with these exponential slingshots of ability. And so it really is, that is immersive technology. That's the market. And so we, it begs the question, like, who else do we look at other than the obvious out front companies? Well, we look at NVIDIA and we look at AT&T. We look at the telecommunications companies, Ericsson, the providers of millimeter wave technology. We look at what's happening with cloud being able to not just be a way that we store information, but that we can actually do all of our compute. And so that we don't have to have these heavy load computer CPU towers in our facilities or even better in our customers' facilities, that we can actually deliver immersive technology. And believe me, we've tested it in our own facility and we can see it. We're testing on millimeter wave 5G right now today in our office. And we're seeing the ability to stream immersive technology, stream virtual reality over 5G. Sure. to multiple displays. And so we know that is the future of what's happening. We can yeah. already see it. We're involved in it. But at the same time, that is not the story that the public zeitgeist understands. About yeah, but it's not, only, it's not only you that understand that. Google deeply understands that. Amazon deeply understands that. Apple, Absolutely. Microsoft. <laughs> the tech giants, the multi-trillion dollar valuation companies these days completely and totally understand that. And the lens that I use to make people understand it, and, and Laurent, this might be sort of reflective to you when you were talking to your dad about like, why are you typing on the TV? Let me show you what this is going to be. I use a lens that I say, think about all the things in people's lifetimes that you will still remember that used to have physicality that no longer have physicality. The best example is the typewriter, right? You used to physically type on this thing and load paper into it and you had one copy of it analog and then maybe you get to a copy machine. We've completely virtualized that. Shopping, completely virtualized, right? We use Amazon and, and like we can give you a hundred examples of how the world has turned virtual. We're doing it right now. We're not actually in person gathered. We're doing it through a virtual layer, right? So when you understand that, you understand what's coming next. And that's kind of probably the thesis. That, that's the point. Kind of, we're doing that through a digital layer, but it doesn't feel like we're together. I see you guys on the screen. You guys hear me and see me and we're all communicating. And this is something that if you go back 40 years was not something you could imagine. You can imagine the science fiction, but not as a real thing that we'll just do. And actually we're doing it for almost free. Kind of our Zoom license is barely costing anything. And they kind of think about taking this to the next level where we can sit anywhere. We can sit in your virtual studio or in our virtual office or on a mountaintop and have this conversation and really feel like we're together. And that will be the end, the result of that next cycle. Yeah, we, we completely concur. Great, great conversation. We really didn't drill down into a topic that we've been always talking about, which is uh, enterprise XR. And, you know, we, you know, the news is always about consumer XR, but, you know, enterprise XR is, is exponentially larger and its potential for revenue for businesses is far greater than the consumer market is, uh, certainly as it exists today, which is one of the things that makes, of course, what Meta is doing so extraordinary because there's such a large and obvious market in enterprise, um, at least what people see from them. I know they're interested in the enterprise market as well but we what we see publicly is their consumer moves uh, which are a bit perplexing given 
um, the pace that the industry is growing at and the you know, vast untapped enterprise market, which is really only beginning uh, to discover the benefits of VR in the most, and AR in the most basic way. So sky's the limit there, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it was okay. great to see you again, Tyler. Liron, great to meet you, e-meet you. I look forward now that uh, we are approaching more normal times to meeting you in the real. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next Friday. Absolutely. Bye-bye.